Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about where the term dog days of summer comes from, why scientists performed magic tricks for birds, and the smallest conceivable length of time. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Here in the Northern Hemisphere, it's the dog days of summer. And that lasts from roughly July 3rd to August 11th each year. I think we'd all agree that it's summer, but what does that have to do with dogs? Despite what you may have heard, it's not about what the weather does to our canine companions, or that it makes us all laze around like dogs. Instead, it all centers on a certain divine dog from long, long ago. In the night sky, the constellation Orion the Hunter is trailed by two trusty dogs, Canis Major and Canis Minor. Sirius, the brightest star in the sky, is sometimes called the Dog Star because of its prominent position in Canis Major. It's the dog's nose or collar tag, depending on how you think its head tilts. The ancient Greeks and Romans coined the term Dog Days of Summer for the period when they'd see Sirius rising with the sun. Those days do often happen to be the hottest days of the year, but it's not for the reason the Greeks thought. They believed it was because the sun got extra power from Sirius, but that heat actually comes from the Earth's tilt. When the North Pole tilts toward the sun from June through August, the Northern Hemisphere gets the sun's most direct rays. The dog days are also associated with war, chaos, and disaster, probably because of how the intense heat affected people and the natural world. People and plants alike tended to weaken and wilt over the long, hot days. Tempers tend to flare in hot temperatures as well. In Egypt, the Nile River would rise around the same time that Sirius did, which could both nourish crops and flood villages. When the phrase was translated to English 500 years ago, it became the victim of a game of telephone. English speakers didn't understand the true origin of the phrase, but its partial meaning lived on. Here's the thing, though. The constellations aren't at the same place in the sky every year. The Earth wobbles like an unbalanced top, and that shifts our orientation to the stars. So in thousands of years, the dog days will actually happen in the middle of winter. But maybe by then, the phrase will represent days so cold that they make dogs cozy up by the fire. Magic tricks work because our minds function in predictable ways, and magicians use that to their advantage. Which begs the question, would a magic trick work on another animal? A team of scientists recently set out to answer that question, and the answer taught us something important about bird brains. Corvids are a family of big-brained birds that includes ravens, crows, and jays. Their brain-to-body mass ratio is similar to apes and whales and just slightly lower than ours. They've demonstrated the ability to make tools and recognize themselves in mirrors, which we thought only humans and some advanced mammals could do. And they regularly use sleight of hand, or beak, to protect their food. Like squirrels and chipmunks, these birds store food to eat later. And that's where the magic happens. They pretend to drop their food in several spots along the way to their secret stash so onlookers can't find and steal it. 
Scientists at the University of Cambridge put these natural magicians to the test. They performed three classic sleight-of-hand tricks for six Eurasian Jays and 80 people to compare who kept better track of the bait, in this case, the Jays' favorite worms. The first two maneuvers, called palming and the French drop, use different techniques to make it look like the worm moves from one hand to the other while it actually stays in the original hand. The third trick was a fast pass, where the worm is quickly tossed into the opposite hand. Humans were consistently stumped by all three tricks. They picked the wrong hand between 70 and 90% of the time. But the birds weren't fooled by the first two tricks, which rely on the spectator's understanding of how objects move between hands. Scientists say that's because birds don't have expectations for how hands work. They just picked the hand where they saw the worm last. But the jays were fooled by the fast pass. Their downfall was that they focused too closely on the starting hand and probably lost track of the worm when it got tossed outside their field of vision. That suggests that jays have mental blind spots similar to those we humans do. Still, any magicians planning to play an aviary might want to rework their repertoire. Or perform for a pack of dogs instead. That trick where you pretend to throw the ball but don't get some every time. What's the tiniest length of time you can think of? A millisecond? A picosecond? Nope. The smallest conceivable length of time is one you've probably never heard of. It's called Planck time. And it's got some special powers that your garden variety picosecond could only dream of. To understand Planck time, you first need to understand the Planck scale. This was originally proposed in 1899 by German physicist Max Planck. He came up with units of measurement based on physical constants of the universe, rather than random objects like other measurements do. That's why physicists sometimes call them God's units. The first unit in the Planck scale is the Planck length, which combines Planck's constant, that's a number that has to do with quantum physics, with the constant of gravitation and the speed of light. It might be a little confusing, but the important thing to know is that it's absolute, because it's based on measurements of physical reality itself. And it's really, really tiny. If you counted one Planck length every second, measuring the diameter of an atom would take you 100,000 times the age of the universe. To get Planck time, just divide that number, which again is very tiny, by the speed of light, which is huge. And you've got a unit of time. How long is that unit of time? Well, there are more units of Planck time in one second than all the regular seconds since the Big Bang. Here's what's so special about these units of measurements. According to special relativity, time moves more slowly the closer you get to the speed of light. If you were speeding around the galaxy in a spaceship and I was here on Earth, time would move more slowly for you than it would for me, and you'd return looking younger than I did. And if you measure length by how long it takes light to cover that distance, that means that lengths are longer for me than they are for you. But because the Planck scale is based on values from the physical laws of the universe itself, you and I should still see those units as the same. And that might pose a problem for special relativity. But no need to fret. These units are way, way too small for us to measure them. 
at least not yet. We also barely understand how the physical constants these units are based on actually interact. So maybe it's enough to know that if you want to count a second in Planck time, you're going to need to have a few billion years on your hands. All right, well, let's recap what we learned today to wrap up. Starting with the fact that the dog days of summer happen between July 3rd and August 11th in the Northern Hemisphere. It comes from Sirius, the dog star, because that's the brightest star in the night sky and it rises around that time. So the ancient Greeks thought its brightness is what made these days so darn hot. But no, summer is hot in the Northern Hemisphere because that's the time of year when the North Pole tilts toward the sun, which gives us its most direct rays. Hot. <laughs> yes. We also learned that scientists did three magic tricks for Eurasian jays, and they were only fooled by one of them. Tricks that involved pretending to pass an object between the hands didn't dupe the birds, possibly because they don't have any expectations for how hands work. But a fast pass, where one hand passes an object to the other really quickly, did fool them, which suggests their brains do have some of the same blind spots that ours do. Someone tell Wiley Coyote might make him a little more successful. <laughs> That's right. Wiley Coyote just needs to learn magic tricks. You know, I didn't tell you this when I first read this story, but, you know, my husband is a magician and a mentalist. So I immediately was like, can you explain palming the French drop and the fast pass to me? And it was like when we were going on a walk after work and he spent the entire <laughs> Like 45-minute walk explaining all of them to me and rolling his eyes at fast pass, which apparently is not a technical term, but is a thing that <laughs> might be done. It was it was very nerdy, Cody. <laughs> wow. That is next level. I wish I could have been there for that. Yeah. And we learned that the smallest conceivable unit of time is called Planck time. And it's based on physical constants of the universe. It's so small that if you wanted to count a second in units of Planck time, it would take you longer than the age of the universe. So, podcast miniseries? <laughs> that sounds great. I mean, you would have to do some really fast podcast production to get one out for every unit of Planck time. Hmm. Well, there's a free idea for you out there, aspiring <laughs> podcasters. Count to one second. In units of long time. <laughs> I look forward to hearing that, that new podcast come out. Today's writers were Steffi Drucker and Joni Folletto. Our managing editor is Ashley Hamer. Our producer and audio editor is Cody Goff. Join us again in about 1.603 times 10 to the 48th Plonk units to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. Stay curious.